Hey, you're listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast. If you want to learn more about the church, including upcoming service times in both our Cincinnati, Ohio, and Florence, Kentucky locations, visit us online at sevenhillschurch.tv. We hope this message helps you win the day. Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 10, and let's look at verse 1. I'm going to read, a, I don't know, a few verses here, and then we'll, we'll just talk about it. Brothers and sisters, it's my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites that they may be saved. It's my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites, for Northern Kentucky, for Eastside Cincinnati, Anderson, Milford, Newtown, come on somebody, Erlanger, Florence, Shaw. A little bit of union, any union in here? Anybody got some? What about Walton Verona? Any Walton Verona hanging out around here? The tri-state area, your family, a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, a friend, someone you go to school with, your colleagues at work. My prayer to God, the desire of my heart and prayer to God is for them that they may be saved. I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness of everyone who believes. Let's drop down to verse six. Because the righteousness of faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend to the heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up. But what does it say? The word is near to you. It's in your mouth and in your heart. That the message concerning the faith we proclaim, this is the verse that maybe you hear a lot. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. The scripture says anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame for there is no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, all of them, every one of them. How then can they call if they've not who they've not believed in? How can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they're sent? As, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. We'll stop right there. I know that's a bunch of Uh, different verses. I almost called this message that last phrase, beautiful feet, but I'm going to talk to you about what can you do? What can you do to win souls? John 3, 16, we know the verse for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever shall believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So it's clear just through that simple verse that every person on this planet will spend eternity somewhere that every person on this planet is eternity bound and they'll spend forever in either heaven or hell. I'm going to start off hot. (laughs) 
And Jesus came, the Bible says, so that none, not one single soul, not one person would perish. Not one person would go into eternity separated from God. He's serious. God is very serious. It is a priority to God. We are to not be passive about soul winning. It is a priority to God that his people be focused on winning souls. You might say, well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. What, what could I possibly do? And the truth is it's very easy to feel insignificant when it comes to such a task. When you look at the whole world, I mean, that's 7 billion people on the planet. That's 200,000 people today entered eternity just today. It's a big task in front of us. And it's easy to feel overwhelmed. It's easy to think about so many lost people, so many people far from God, so many people want nothing to do with God. And it's even sometimes uh, easy to lose hope that we can do anything to make a difference. But here Paul tells the Roman church, the church in Rome, he tells them some things that they can do. I believe these are things that every single person in this room can do. These are things that are probably easier than we think. They don't require great talent. They don't require a special giftedness. This is not reserved for uh, those who we would think. This is, these are things that every single person in this room could do. They're actually relatively easy um, to to do as far as that they don't require like some special skill. Like when you look up here at Luke Ren Singh, right? Or Pam Singh. I mean, you know, like that's not easy to do. It may be easy for them, but it's not easy for me, right? So these are not those types of things. These are things that every single one of us can do, but we have to actually be willing to maybe do some things that are uncomfortable um, to accomplish them. So let's look at it. The first thing that Paul said was in verse one, we said it, that his heart's desire was that he prayed for Israel that they would be saved. So number one, that God looks for callous knees above perfect resumes. If you're like me, you look at your life and you feel maybe like you don't measure up. I mean, what could I possibly do? I'm, I'm not, um, the type of person that looks at my life and thinks that I should be doing what I'm doing right now. When I look at my life I, and what I'm doing, I, I, to be honest, I feel um, like I'm a bit uh, out of my league. Every single Sunday I drive up to the church and I always think no one's coming this week because I think surely you're going to get it. That this is, is, something that I, I feel a sense of insignificance. How could I do this? And I think all of us, if we were to be honest, if we were to grab your spiritual resume and we were to bring you in front of the church and we were to read through your spiritual accomplishments and maybe we could just list off some of your violations as we, as we do this, maybe some of your sins, right? If God would just give us a secret look into your secret life, right? And we could list some of these things up on your resume and march you up here. I'm guessing we would probably not hire most of us. Anybody here? 
And so it's easy to feel like I'm not enough. I don't measure up. I don't have what it takes. I, there's, there's, there's not whatever it is that, that we think God uses. I'm not that. And we see people that we think that fit that perfect resume and oh yeah, God, you can use them, but not me. But here the scripture begins to paint a picture for us that it's not the perfect resume that God uses, but it's those with callous knees. Paul prayed, not a perfect man, but he prayed that God would save Israel. Moses prayed that God would forgive the sins of Israel. And he was so intense on this prayer that he said to God, if you're not going to forgive the sins of the nation of Israel, block me out of your book. He meant business. Could you imagine? Think about that loved one that doesn't know Jesus or someone that, that you know that is, a, is far from God. Can you imagine saying, God, if you're not going to save them, if they're going to go to hell, I want to go to hell too. If they're not going to heaven, I don't want to go. And the point is not that that's the way we should pray. The point is that what we should have is a prayer life for people that are far from God, that when we think about those who are away from God, it should bother us. We shouldn't be thinking, I'm on my way to heaven. I'm right with God. I'm good with God. You know, me and me and God are good. I can't wait to go to heaven. Oh yeah, those people, they're not going to heaven. Oh well, what can I do? Look at my resume. What can I do? God send the preacher. God send a crusade. God send somebody, but not me. There was a time in the church where they would have prayer meetings and they would make the commitment, we will not sleep until someone is saved. And they would go days in prayer until one person gave their life to Christ. You say, can we pray for God to forgive them? Yes. Does that mean he will? No, they have to ask him for forgiveness, but we can pray, God save them, God forgive them. Daniel prayed and angels started fighting. We're talking about callous knees. That his prayers started a war in heaven. And his prayer was just like Moses, God forgive Israel. And the Bible says while he was praying, that's a huge point. While he was praying, the angel Gabriel came and appeared to him. Callous knees, way more important than your perfect resume. The Bible talks about how Lot and his family were in Sodom and Gomorrah and they were comfortable. They were enjoying their life. Abraham showed up and said, hey, we got to go. We got to go. God's not OK with this. God's not winking at this no more. We got to get out of here. Lot's like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm not going anywhere. We're good. We're staying here. Abraham couldn't do anything through his speech, through how persuasive he was being. So he went and he got on his knees and he started to pray. And the Bible says that he moved angels through his prayers and they went and dragged Lot and his family out of Sodom. Bible says Jacob stole the birthright of Esau. And for 20 years, Esau hunted him down to kill him. For 20 years, he had murder in his heart. For 20 years, if he had found Jacob at any moment, he would have killed him immediately. 
And Jacob knows Esau is closing in on him, that he's getting close. And so he has an all night prayer meeting. During that all night prayer meeting, God says to him, now that you've spent time with me, I'm going to give you power, not just with me, but I'm going to give you power with men. So prayer not only gives you power with God, but it also gives you power with people. And the Bible says that the next day after that prayer meeting, Esau is coming over the hillside with every intent to kill Jacob. But when he sees him, he falls on his neck and hugs him. And what I want you to see is that God took the prayers of Jacob and he touched the heart of a man who had a murdering spirit in him. And if God can use his prayers to do that, what can your prayers do? I don't want to hear about the perfect resume. Let's talk about what you can do and you can pray. Verses six through eight that we read talks about the obstacles that we run into. This is why we stop praying for people. And I am guilty, by the way. People I just gave up on. I don't know why I did. Just said, you know, I prayed. I don't know. It just doesn't seem like they're into it, interested. And so I just kind of, in my prayer life, when it kind of comes to them, I just don't feel any faith. And I just kind of try to avoid it. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Pray for this, pray for that. But then when it comes to something, you say, eh, I don't really know. I don't really, it feels a little weird. And sometimes our family's the hardest ones, huh? And he tells us why we face an obstacle when we pray for people and we stop believing for them. He says, number one reason, the first is self-righteousness, that people are clothed in their own righteousness, that sometimes we look at people and they have it so together, their life is so good that when they look at their life, they feel like their own goodness is enough that they don't need God. So they're lost in their own righteousness is what he says. They look at their life and maybe they even compare it to a Christian or Christians they know. And they would say, my life, my character, my integrity, my decisions, my relationships, the way I go at life, the way I think my principles, my standards are better than Christians. Why would I ever need the God that they serve when my life is better than the people who are trying to represent that God? And so they look at their life and they think they don't need God because of the people that they see that worship God. And so they begin to think to themselves one day, I guess based on looking at them, I'll stand before God and he'll see that I've done good with my life, that I've, I've been a good person, that I've handled things good and God will be good with me. And if not, you know, as I get to the end of my life, I might have a few little things I need to put some finishing touches on, but I'm able to kind of fix those little things right towards the end. And then I'll be able to stand before God and I'll be fine in my own righteousness. And they're lost that way. And we look at them and we think, man, how would that person ever see a need to get right with God? And it's like everything, they have everything together. Everything's going good for them and they're lost in their own. And so we stop believing the other person. It goes on to mention is someone who's so wicked, someone so lost in their sin, someone that's so low, someone that's so caught up in a lifestyle that we look at. And it's like their whole life has been surrounded by evil associations, surrounded by some kind of like wickedness. And even when you look at them, you're like, how would they ever change? They've lived so long in that kind of deceit and sin. There's no chance that they'll ever get right with God. And so Paul says this, He says, do not say to yourself, 
When you look at someone who looks like their life is so good that they look at their own righteousness, that their righteousness reaches up to the heavens is what it says. And they think that they're good enough to stand before God based on their own good deeds. He says, what that is, is that's to bring Christ down. And then someone you look at and they're so wicked, they're so caught in sin. They're so wrapped up in, in that lifestyle that you're like, there's no way Jesus could reach someone that's that dev solo and that in that kind of sin. There's no, I mean, they're too far gone. He said, don't say that because that's to bring Christ up. And the Bible is here saying no matter where someone is on the spectrum of their goodness or how low they are in their badness, I know it's not a word, but how low they are, don't say that God cannot reach them because in both places, no matter how good someone is, how righteous, no matter how much they keep even all the commandments, God is near wherever they're at. God is close to them. If they'll just call out, he's close to them. And no matter how bad someone is, he's close and he's near to them too, because Jesus is above all things. He is beneath all things. And our job is to never stop praying. And our job is to never give up no matter how impossible it looks, no matter how in our mind, we think there is no way our job is to never give up. David said it like this. If I ascend to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, guess what? You're still there. Our job is no matter where they're at on the spectrum is to never give up, to never stop believing God because our callous knees are way more important than our perfect resumes. He said, there's no way it's this person. There's I've done everything. There's no chance. There's a guy that had 2000 demons and the Bible says they had tried everything they knew that no one could help this man. Jesus spends one second with them and sets the man free. It does not matter how far gone they look. Our job is to keep praying and believing that God through one encounter, through one moment in his presence can change the life of anybody. So what can you do? What can you do? What can you do? What can you do to see souls saved? What can you do to be a soul winner? Pray, pray, call people's name out to God. Don't stop calling their name out. Don't give up. Keep calling their name out. God, save them. God, forgive them. God, restore them. God, I just, I'm just praying that you use me, use me in whatever way you can to be a voice into their life. Number two, the Bible says in verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Everyone, everyone say everyone. everyone. So the atheist, the agnostic, the anti-God, the broken, the bruised, the bitter, the callous, the cold hearted, everyone, everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. That's the name of Jesus, right? That's not just any name. People say, well, there's a bunch of ways that people can get to God. People can get to God anyway. No, that's not true. There's only one way you have to call on the name of the Lord. There's only one name under heaven that's been given to man. 
by which we shall be saved. And that is the name of Jesus. There's a lot of ways to Jesus, but he's the only way to the father. He's the door to the father. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But it goes on to say how I love that. How, how does this happen? Think about it. Everyone. But the key is how, what a great question that Paul is asking. And so he says it four different times. How, how, how just trying to figure out how to do this. And then he finishes it with one more how, and it's the answer. So he asked how four times. It's a question. It's a question. And each time intensifies, he's intensifying it. We got to get this. We got to figure this out. How does this work? How does this work? Because if they just call, they'll be saved. So how? And then he gives us the answer with an exclamation mark. And this is what he says. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. So point number two, God uses beautiful feet over the silver tongue. God's not looking for some great orator. He's not looking for an eloquent speaker. God is looking for beautiful feet. Feet speak of the serving member of the body. We're his hands and his feet. And you know what the apostle said? He said what God is looking for when it comes to seeing our world come to know Jesus is he's not looking for another preacher with a microphone. He's looking for beautiful feet. In other words, what he's saying is serving is beautiful. The most beautiful thing we can do before God and honestly, the most beautiful thing we can do before a broken world is serve. It does not matter how much they hate our gospel. It does not matter how much they despise our gathering. I can promise you they'll never reject your serving. They won't because it's beautiful. It's so attractive. It's hard to resist. I think back all these years that, that we've given backpacks by the thousands and, and Heart the city, thousands of volunteers. Last year, $2 million we spent on outreach initiatives. And you might be saying to yourself, well, did we preach Jesus to them at any moment? No, not one word. Just served. Why? Because it's beautiful feet. It's beautiful feet. It's beautiful feet. We, we opened this whole message by saying, what can we do? What can we do? What can I possibly do? Again, you may never stand up and preach a sermon or sing a song, but what we can all do, by the way, this is serving, but, but what we can all do is we can find a way to serve in the body. We can find a way to serve and serving is beautiful. It is beautiful to God and it is beautiful to others. What populates heaven and empties hell is not what we think. It is not our preaching. It is not our programs. It is our serving. First Corinthians nine, verse 19 through 23, five times Paul goes through the strategy of winning souls. 
talks about winning the Jew, I became like a Jew. To win a Gentile, I became like the Gentile. To win the weak, I became like the weak. And he's going through the way he wins. And he's not talking about compromising his character. He opens the whole thought up by saying, though I am free, I have become a, slave, a willing slave or servant to all of these people. What Paul is saying is there's a characteristic of a soul winner. And the characteristic of a soul winner is a person with a servant's heart. I'm serving God, I'm serving his kingdom, and I'm serving others. And when I serve others, I'm actually serving Jesus Christ himself. And that is beautiful. You'd get no more beautiful than serving. The only way that you can kind of Beautify the feet a little bit more. He goes on to say, verse 24 through 27, he starts talking about an athlete and how an athlete has to have strict uh, training and how he has to have his body prepared for the, the, that which he's competing in and that he can't just sacrifice the importance of training the body or he'll fail at what he's competing in. And then an athlete knows this. And then Paul begins to say, so it is with us that when it goes to trying to win souls, we have to make sure that we don't allow this body to disqualify us. So the way we serve people is we don't just serve them by little actions that we take. We serve them by the life that we live. That when I'm a part of your life, whether I ever say anything or not, the character, my character is actually serving other people. My life is saying this God that I serve, can I help you out? If you eat the fruit of my life, what you're going to do is taste and see that there is no higher way than serving Jesus Christ. Paul says your body has to be trained to do what it's supposed to do. Proverbs 1130, he who wins souls is wise, but I start with my own soul. Before I do anything for other people, I've got to ask myself, am I doing what I can do to live this life? Every January, we focus on it. We just got done with self-examination month, fasting, praying, focusing on God, training our body. Why? Because all of us have a tendency to let our disciplines get Go crazy. Our flesh goes crazy. And so Paul's saying, hey, what's really important if you're going to serve people, if you're going to win souls is self-mastery, self-discipline. You got to get self-control in place because the most important soul winning tool I have is my own character. Let me say it like this. As a pastor, I have two primary jobs, two primary jobs. One is to present God to you to present his word to you, to present his love, his character, his nature. I have to present his grace, his truth. And one day the Bible says, I will stand before God on how well I did at presenting him to you. I'm not him. I'm just setting the table. You choose what to do with it. Come on. My job's to set the table. to prepare the meal. And the Bible says I'll undergo a harsher judgment by standing on this stage and doing what I'm doing right now. So my job is to present him to you. That's job number one. 
Job number two is I present you to him. So I have the second responsibility that one day I'll answer to God for what I did to prepare this church, this congregation, this part of the body. There's millions of bodies around the world, but this body, my job is to present you to him. And to ask myself the question, one, am I pleasing him when I present him to you? But I also have to ask, am I pleasing him when I present you to him? And beautiful feet is how we win souls. The Bible says it like this in 1 Thessalonians 4.12, your daily life wins the respect of outsiders. Colossians 2 and verse 8, share the gospel and your life. It's both. Matthew 23 verse 15 says you travel land and sea all to win one convert. And once they're converted, you turn them into twice the son of hell as you are. That was Jesus talking, by the way. What's he saying? It's not the silver tongue. It's not how you talk. The main thing he was unraveling in his day was that the religious people thought it was all about the, the beauty of their words, right? The beauty of how they talk, how religious they talk. And Jesus kept saying, hey, what you're saying is inconsistent with how you live. And how you win souls is you say to yourself, hey, behind the scenes, I have to work on living this life. So when I come and serve people, they, rep they recognize that the life I'm talking about is not just my actions, but my actions are consistent with my character. They both line up. If they do not, then I disqualify myself. That's what Paul said. Anybody in here ever been disqualified? But it's something that you and I can do. You and I can make the decision to say, you know what? I'm going to get some callous knees. I'm going to get some beautiful feet. We talk about summit. We talk about all these types of things. It's not because we're just plaguing away. Josh, one of our behind this, you don't probably don't even know Josh Braden. Maybe you do. Um, him and his wife, Angela, they work behind the scenes. They're amazing people, incredible people. And uh, just brilliant. Josh is, is a brilliant, brilliant. And he does most of our data analyzing. So every single one of you, if you've given us information, Josh has analyzed you. <laughs> and he gives us these graphs. Okay. And these graphs say this to us. These graphs say this to us. That only 10% of the people that show up and visit this church that we know of will actually go to Summit. That if you attend this church for one year, the chance of you going through summit is about 10%. And let me just say it like this. If you do not start serving within a year of attending here, basically you won't be here. You're like, are you trying to get me to serve? No, I'm trying to get you planted in the house of God because that's how you flourish. My job is not to fill a seat. That's not my job. My job is to present you to him. 
And he says the way we win this world to Christ is through beautiful feet, through finding ways to serve, to, to not really worry about what it looks like, just to simply say, in this week, I did something to serve the body of Christ. I did something to present Jesus to this world more beautiful than what he's ever been presented before. It doesn't really matter what it looks like, but I'm serving. If we want to win souls, it's going to look something like this. Oh, the world is so bad. The world's so horrible. The world's so whatever. It does nothing. But if you'll roll up these sleeves and say, well, let's do something to serve them. Let's do something in my private time to get my life figured out. So when I show up with these people, I'm not just giving them cliche answers. I'm showing them that I've got victory in my own life and they can get victory in their life. You know what I'm doing right now? I'm trying to get you ready for the Super Bowl. That's right. Because next week, whether we come home with the trophy or not, we have a chance to win souls. And by the way, that's our Super Bowl. And man, I'm just going to tell you, Joe over there on the camera, he's probably wants them to win more than I do. But outside of that, probably not very many people that want the Bengals to win the Super Bowl more than I do. If you don't know Joe, he's probably on a meme somewhere. He is a he is a Bengals. His whole basement, his car used to be a tiger, right? Bengals. So anyway, I just felt like I needed to say I want him to win. But one year later, they don't win again. The title's gone, right? It's what the scripture there said. They compete for a crown that doesn't last, but we're competing for a crown that lasts forever. Forever. Say, how do we do this? What do we do? How do, how do we work through all this? I love what Paul said. He said, it's like at the very end of that chapter in chapter 21, it says, God stands with his hands out, but the people wanted nothing to do with him because they were obstinate, but God still held his hands out. They were indifferent. They didn't want anything to do, but he still held his hands out which I love because this just shows C.H. Spurgeon said it like this. How do you overcome the indifference in people? You know what he said? He said, you double down your passion. The more indifferent they are, you know what you do? You overcome that indifference by doubling your passion, by keeping your zeal alive. By having this burning, blazing, all consuming passion to say, hey, I don't care what indifference you show. I know that God's hands are still out. Callous knees, beautiful feet. Can we do that this week? Can we do that in this next season? Can we just make a decision? I'm going to be praying for people. I'll be praying for family members. If you enjoyed today's message, be sure to hit the subscribe button. And if you want to experience daily content, messages, and inspiration, go ahead and sign up for Daily Bread with PM by visiting sevenhillschurch.tv slash dbpm. Thanks for listening to the Seven Hills Church Podcast.